is Ramona Rembel, principal at Westdale Middle School in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, facing some pretty heavy rains right now. So it was very nice of you to join us. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Hope, hope everyone is, is staying safe and hopefully the rains move on. Uh, yes. But we, we have a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. Um, maybe we could just start with, as principal, what led you and your team to say, you know, we really want to implement a school-wide you know, positive behavior system and we want to put all that hard work, work into it? Well, I, um, I became interim principal here uh, March 6th of last school year. You know how late that is in the school year. But it did give me a unique opportunity to see what was working, what was lacking, and if I had become the permanent principal, what I would do differently for the following school year. Um, I was named the actual principal in June. Thank you very much. And um, I had already started the work of, uh, because coming that late in the spring, I really, it was, all I could do was continue to see forward the mission and the vision of the previous principal and Mm -hmm. do some observations. So one of the things that I um, definitely observed was we had serious issues when it came to student misbehavior, uh, high suspension rate, high expulsion rate, and um, teacher morale was really low. And when mm-hmm. I surveyed the students, when I surveyed uh, the teacher population, the leadership team, um, what I kept hearing over and over was that uh, discipline was was a major issue, and mm-hmm. teachers were burnt out because it felt like they were managing. The most eye-opening thing that I got, though, was uh, when it came to the student survey. When I asked them what they wanted from me, the overwhelming response was stronger discipline. So mm. that was that was very eye-opening to me. Um, everyone was craving more structure, more disciplinary support. So um, this is my first time venturing into middle school. I've worked in high school for 15 years, mm. and I had been an assistant principal for eight years prior to this. And... Um, one of the things that we used to do at the previous high school where I spent nine years of my career, uh, we would track what was called the ABCs, you know, attendance, behavior, course, performance. Mm. And it was the core, it was the foundation of our PBIS system at the school. And I felt like that was something that was really needed here. We had a huge number of students that had been held back at the end of last school year due to attendance. It was abysmal. Um, behavior was a huge issue. And we also had a lot of students who, you know, were, they behaved well and they felt that they were losing privileges because the good was suffering for the bad. So this summer, I ventured out to try to find a system that would help us to track and monitor these ABCs, uh, help us to develop some incentives around positive behavior, incentive support, because I, I know how important that is to a school system. So I uh, brought the idea to my leadership team. And it was kind of like, okay, let's divide and conquer. Let's let's all put our feelers out and see what we can find that can provide these things. Um, I think live school was brought to my attention via like some just maybe some marketing emails. I know that when I saw um, the initial presentation of it, it was intriguing to me. I wanted to see more about what it was. And I didn't get the opportunity to really delve into it at the time. So I I asked our dean to uh, check it out, Coach Romare, who couldn't be in this podcast today, but she's amazing. And she is actually our uh, direct administrator of live school here. So she checked it out and she came to me and she's like, Ms. Rumble, this is is amazing. I think it's going to do everything that it is that we need it to do. 
which caused me to, uh, you know, take the time to really look into it. We loved how everything was set up with the, with the house system and uh, the built-in incentives where teachers could, you know, provide points to students and, and this whole thing. So uh, the initial concept was let's let's see what it does. Let's let's see how this impacts uh, school. So um, initially, I reached out to our Title One coordinator. I'm like, hey. Can we get some funds? Can we get this rolling? And it was kind of new to the district. Um, I even had to get like the superintendent to sign off on it. And I realized, mm-hmm. hey, this is something kind of new. But uh, anyone who knows me knows like I come from a school that was like the king of pilots. We piloted a lot of stuff that actually is now widely used in the district. So it didn't it didn't um, I wasn't afraid of trying something new. So we get a uh, live school. We really get into it in July. And when we start bringing the teachers back um, for in-service before school starts, Coach Romare had the idea of, so initially we were trying to figure out like how we're going to do it. We're going to do it by grade level. Mm. Um, how are we going to do this? And she came up with the idea of, okay, we have sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Let's do six houses and let's make them diverse. Our campus is very diverse. We have a middle school that probably has more programs than most middle schools. Um, There's something here for everybody. We have a foreign language immersion magnet program. We have gifted, we have talented, we have um, our traditional students. We have an ESS population. We have an ED population. We have so many different populations here. And she wanted those houses to be reflective of the diversity of the populations. So she decided for the six houses, we kind of came uh, to a consensus that we would mix them up sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And we would do a variety of teachers and students and, and they would be in these houses. So initially we were like, how do, how do we roll this concept out? to the teachers and have it be something that they don't see as, oh, another thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. And how do we get them to see the value in this? So in our in-service, we didn't just go straight into, you know, this is the school calendar and this is what we're going to do instructionally. We started with that in mind, uh, the cultural piece and talking about our vision and how uh, live school would play a part of that. So once they started to kind of get interested in like, what's this whole live school jazz? Uh, Coach Romero did this really neat thing where every teacher had a balloon with their name on it. Um, and it wasn't just the teachers. It was every member of the leadership team also. Mm. I am the only person who um, belonged to all six houses. But <laughs> every single person, our um, assistant principals, deans, literacy coach, math coach, all of them were uh, given a house. And inside of these balloons was the, the house color that they belonged to. So we did this whole mm. thing. We videoed it, everybody like popping their balloons to see what house color they had. <laughs> and at that moment, it was a uh, kind of camaraderie with the teachers. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm in the pink house. Who else is in the pink house mm-hmm. with me? You know? Yeah. So we kind of started with getting them pumped about this. Then when school started, we started school with a pep rally. <laughs> that was Coach Romero's nice. idea. And it was, it was, it was unique because most people don't do that on the first day of school. Yeah. But we wanted to kind of really pump up our vision and school spirit on day one. Mm. So we told them like, hey, we've got this, this awesome incentive system uh, this year. We promise you, you will get recognized and rewarded for doing the right things. And, mm. you know, we believe that you can meet these expectations. So the initial house party is what we call them, initial house party. Um, we were all students knew what house they belonged in but they Mm. didn't know who else was in their house. So Coach Romero did this big pep rally style thing um, where the kids got the opportunity to see who was in their house by letting them represent with their house colors. And that was pretty cool. Like the kids 
really, really, really seemed to like that, being able to identify which of their peers and teachers were, were in their house. Mm. Um, we gave them opportunity to even get their houses names and kind of create their own vision as a house and really take ownership of it. So um, Coach Romero came up with the idea of having the houses compete in attendance behavior course mm. performance. Um, those houses would get that shout out on the uh, announcements and also be able to rip their house color, you know, and we, we're a school that uses uniforms. So anytime students get to dress outside of uniforms, they, they, they're thrilled. They love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my biggest thing was I want them to take ownership and have pride in their houses. So we come up with these um, house parties, right? Yeah. And uh, the kids absolutely love them. I, I get stopped like on the corridors. It's like, hey, when's, when's our next house party? You know? <laughs> so with the house parties, um, we do what's like grade level Olympics. So it's a little combination of silly games and mm -hmm. academic trivia type thing. They get to really be proud of their house. We we can discuss with them which house is leading in the, the ABCs. They can get that spirit stick, you know, and, and now everybody knows who's the house to beat for next time around. Nice. And also to um, students, we've tied live school into our on-campus uh, currency. Our, our, our mascot is the Hawk. So we have a campus currency, the Hawks Bucks. Mm -hmm. And um, one day a week on Wednesdays, you can use Hawks Bucks at the concession stand to purchase concessions, right? Mm -hmm. But the only way to earn Hawks Bucks is based on our point system with live school. So mm -hmm. students get points. um for all the things that we expected them, being in class on time, being prepared with their materials, you know, being respectful, all of the things that we want to see. Um, and what we found is by putting a lot of um, energy and focus on positive behaviors, the negative behaviors have drastically lessened. Um, when I first came here, it felt like all the focus was on negative behaviors and student behavior was like 90% of what was going on mm. when I when I surveyed my instructional team, I'm like, what is it that you want to do during the day? And they, and they had all these wonderful ideas. And I'm like, what's stopping you from doing it? And everything was discipline. We spent so much time mm. monitoring behaviors, discipline. So not everybody was sold on the idea that if we shifted our focus to positive behavior and incentives, that it would address these negative behaviors. Not everybody was on it. Um, but the data spoke for itself as we started to see like the the kids are they're striving because there's something to strive towards and there's there's a reward there um and then we tied into other school-wide things coach romero wanted to do a fall festival and trunk or treat and uh students had to have you know a certain there was these there were these parameters you couldn't have you know referrals you couldn't have suspensions you couldn't do these things and um a huge, like, I'm going to say more than 80% of our students were able to participate in that because they met those metrics. And she and I had a conversation and she was like, you know, if we had done this this time last year, probably only a third of the kids would have qualified, you know? Mm. So it's showing that mm. students are responding positively to it. Yeah. Um, and it has made a, a huge impact um, on our school culture here. Um I think the number one most asked question from students to me is, what's our next house party? So that's yeah. got to feel great. It does. It's, 
it's so interesting hearing how you approach it. Can I ask, is this your first principalship? Or? It is. It, it is. is my first principalship. I've been, in, I was an AP for eight years and then this is my first principalship. Okay. That, that is really exciting. You know, a lot of times when people are rolling out a new school-wide program and, and at live school, we actually advise people do this. We'll kind of say like, start small, you know, get everyone on board, start small. You all went big. We went big. <laughs> From the very beginning. It was just go, go, go the first week. I love it. I love it too because um, so me coming in as an outsider um, in, in our system, elementary, middle and high school is like pretty segregated. So when when I ca- came here, everyone was like, who's this Who's this lady? You know, they had to call somebody in the high school where I'm like, do, you know, do you know this person? Um, so getting them to buy in fully um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that the leadership team uh, was like, hey, we're, we're going to give it a good old college try. When I first became principal, everybody told me, you know, it's going to take about three years for you to really see change. Pick two or three things that you can change and focus on this. Yeah. Year. But when I was looking uh, last school year, there were 15 teachers that quit during the school year here. Wow. And I recognized that we did not have three years to turn things around. That Mm. sense of urgency was so necessary. We were losing very competent and passionate teachers. We were allowing um, this this love of education to to the flame to just go out. And Mm. I recognized that we, we didn't have time to do that. We needed to do a total transformation in the eight weeks of summer and come back and, and hit it hard. So um, having that team, uh, how it was described to me by one of our leadership team members was we were always on the bus. You know, we just needed a, a bus driver, you know, and I, mm. so I just hopped in. And I was like, I got my CDL. Let's, let's do it. So and hit they, the gas. Yeah, I'm telling <laughs> you. And they yeah. brought into the fact that we needed to have that sense of urgency and we needed to not change two or three things. We needed to hit about 12 things and mm. we needed to really do it effectively and with fidelity. And I will say that I'm very proud that um, we we did that. We, we really yeah. did what we were supposed to do. And um, one of our supervisors, one of my supervisors asked Coach Romare one day, like, what are you most proud of this school year? And she said um, that we did what we said we were going to do. You know, every year we plan a bunch of stuff and we don't necessarily follow it through, but this year we mm-hmm. did. Yeah. And um very excited with live school. It has had such an impact on um, just the positive nature of the culture. But numerically, when we get into suspensions and we get into expulsions, when we get into attendance, it is completely night and day from last year. And like last year, first semester, I think we had like 133 children who met the definition for truant. And this year, first semester, at the end of the semester, we only have four. Like that's, that's huge. That's amazing. It well, is. I mean, when they hear from their friends, like first day you miss the pep rally. Yes. Like kids want to be there for that stuff. They do. Yeah. I had, um, it's so funny. So we had a house party coming up like on, on a Friday mm-hmm. and we had uh, a kid that was sick and the nurse was like, Hey, you know, you're going to have to take off. And she comes in here. She's got these tears in her eyes. And she's like, you know, Miss Rimble, tell them I'm not sick. And I'm looking at her I'm like, well, you look sick. And the medical professional say you're sick like, baby, take you a break. And most, you know, I remember what it was like to be a kid. If you get your free yeah. day off, a three-day weekend, who would argue with that? But she was upset because she didn't want to miss the house party. 
That's that's a sign of you know, that's a, it's a big sure. deal. Yeah, that is a big deal. It sounds like you also have a mix of kind of the more tangibles and then these experiences and ways that kids are connecting to staff and others. Like, do you find that some some students really are all about the tangible stuff and some, or is it all a mix and, and everyone's enjoying everything? That's a very good question. I do think that um, within the diversity of the population, you're going to find diverse needs. Um, there's a diversity in what encourages students or right. what, uh, you right. know, excites them. We have some students that are more about the instant gratification. So uh, I'll give you an example. We have a menu of the things that you can do with your Hawks bucks based mm -hmm. upon, you know, your points. One of them is you can save up enough to get a, a, a free dress, right? Mm. So you, you can dress in your regular clothes. And that was like the pinnacle. And we just knew that the kids were going to save up and do this. No one has cashed yours in for free dress because they, they go to the concession stand and use it every Wednesday because of that instant gratification. And we, we were just yep. kind of laughing about that. We were like, you know, um, it kind of shocked us because we thought everybody's going to be like, let me save up for my free dress. But we do have uh, their kids. Right. So yeah, they're course. like, yeah. that might be on their mind. And then they look over there and they're like, mm, they got some pickles and some chips and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend it. Um, yeah. And then we do have those students who um, they prefer, you know, just being able to have like, their, their teams, their, their houses shouted out on the intercom. Mm. We have some students that have expressed to me that they love that recognition um, and that positive competition, being able to represent their house colors, those type of things. Um, so I do think it is a combination of both, hmm. the tangibles and intangibles. Yeah. And I think that's why we did tie it into our Hawks Bucks um, currency system, because we did find that some students were more motivated by the, the tangible reward. Yeah. And also, I mean, students having that experience, like, you know, maybe the first couple of weeks or first couple of months, yeah, they're, they're, they're going for the instant gratification, but that also gives them the opportunity to start to reflect and learn like, oh, I still haven't, you know what I mean? And they can start to develop those decision-making uh, skills. So I think that's really great to give them the choice and let them, you know, let them learn some of those lessons in a real way. Um, have you been hearing anything from like parents in the community or are they hearing about all, everything going on? So um, the parents absolutely love that, you know, they can kind of get a snapshot of where their students stand mm. um, with our live school system. I have not gotten a ton of feedback from mm -hmm. parents specifically about live school. But because maybe we have not done the best job of explaining to parents um, the how we're getting mm. the improvements and gains. But the one thing I do know is our parents and our other stakeholders, like even um, people who work throughout the district, what they have been commenting on is, God, when we come here, it just feels different. When we mm. come here, it is so different. And the kids are, for example, one of the things we had a serious issue with when I got here was, during instructional time, there would always be kids just kind of walking around, meandering, doing things. And I told my leadership team, like, it drives me nuts. I said, you know, whatever our core foundation is, like what our core beliefs are, mm -hmm. we shouldn't have to tell anybody. They should see it. And me being mm -hmm. all about instruction, I must model that by making sure instructional time is protected. So from bell to bell, no one moves, period. I want people in class all the time. And when I'm having people come on campus, you know, 
I literally had someone just stop and ask the Madden coordinator, like, where are the kids? And she's like, well, they're in class. And she's like, all of them? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, hmm, like, that wasn't what I heard about this school. She's like, yeah, I mean, a lot of things have changed. And I get so many people who just comment on that. Um, and people who've worked in the district in different capacities who have way more experience being at this school than I have for like, hey, you know, I've been coming to the school for years. It is different. It's changed something about just the feeling. Mm -hmm. And um, and like I said, they may not necessarily understand the logistics behind how we're getting that change, but they are definitely recognizing and acknowledging the change. Um, our campus is pretty large and it's very open. And um, one day I needed to get something to the back of campus and I was at the front of campus. I said, well, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll catch a kid. And when a kid comes, I'll get them to run it back there. So I'm standing there. Time is going. It's like 15 minutes. And I turn, I tell the math coach, I'm like, it's been 15 minutes. Like no kid has passed <laughs> by. And she's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're all in class. Like, you know, they, they've, they've bought, yeah. they've bought in to, you know, what we expect here. Um, I'm also finding that with live school and with, with our students understanding that they will get incentives for doing the right thing, it seems to be more of a push of doing the right thing. So, um, cell phones was a huge issue when, when I came here as they are at most schools, right? Of course. Yeah. And so I came up with this summer, I told my leadership team, I'm going to have students to relinquish their cell phones when they walk into class and they can get them back at the end of class. And everybody looked at me like I was nuts. They were like, oh my God, that is not going to go over well. Kids are going to be combative. They're going to be aggressive about those phones. Um, I think it's, it's, go it's going to be very difficult. However, we have not had any issues there. And mm. it's, you know, they're allowed to use their phones at lunch and at recess only. And so far, we haven't had any problems there. The kids are in the habit of getting mm. phones. And it's because they are being engaged in class and mm. they have a motivation to stay on task and do well because they know it will be recognized and rewarded. And so we're seeing less of an, a need for distraction you know, with the cell phones and other behaviors in class. Um, the kids all just seem to be really into it, you know, physically and mentally yeah. into it. And that, that's what I love. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I think that is literally what it's all about. And you can't fake, like, yeah, if you just made a mandate on that, you know what I mean? That's a very different situation than giving kids an alternative every day in every class where they're, you know what I mean? They're like, ah, yeah, I'll put my phone up. And I think on some level, kids probably like not having that. You know what I mean? It's probably nice to step away from their phones and like socialize and learn and focus, right? Well, I think I think it was something that was kind of very unfamiliar and, and, yeah. and weird at first. Right. And I recognized that in order for, for me to get students to step out and do something that is foreign to them, they had to trust me. So one of the things I started my first week here, even as an interim principal, was um, grade level meetings. And in my experience as an educator, grade level meetings are usually teams of grade level teachers meeting. Of course, yeah. I do grade level meetings and it's me, the teacher, and that grade level of students. I'm, I'm addressing the students, right? And the teachers are there to hear, overhear the conversation I'm having with students. And we do that every single month. And um, in addition to me speaking to them about things that are germane to the time, it may be testing coming up and I'm just trying to motivate them to stay with it, or it could be something specific to, to a pattern I'm seeing that I'm we need to reset. Mm -hmm. um, 
but also I give them the opportunity to Q and A. So it's, it's two way, you know, they get to ask me questions and they get to make suggestions and, you know, we, we go back and forth that way. And what I found is just bringing them in and having these conversations and say, Hey, we're going to do it this way. And this is the why, this is my thought behind it. And I found that just having those just we're on the same level conversations has garnered a lot of trust from our students. Um, We had to do accreditation surveys um, and the surveys, they have a survey for parents, they have a survey for staff and they have one for students. And when it came to um, the highest ranked metric from our students was um, a Likert scale statement that said my principal makes decisions um, in our best interest and to keep us safe. And that was on like an 88 question survey. So I think that even if I ask them to do something that is maybe uncomfortable at first, or they're not, you know, used to it, they trust that I will make decisions that are best for them and that I will do them to make them safe. And then by having those grade level meetings, it allows them to address concerns to me. Mm. And it allows me to know what they're thinking or what misconceptions they may have. And then I can stop and I can explain it to them. Um, because kids nowadays, I mean, they're very advanced and they're they're critical yeah. thinkers. These kids are very able to understand the concepts, concepts and the reasoning behind. So taking the time to say, hey, I understand your concern, but this is what I was thinking when I did that. Um, it has made a huge difference in uh, getting our students to try something new. Mm. And I do think that they're enjoying not having the phones. I don't even think they think about it. They're just so engaged in class and they're doing stuff that the teachers are loving it uh, because the kids are now fully engaged in the work. And our first semester assessment data was like huge gains from previous years because now the students are, are focused on what's going on in class. And they know that being on top of it, pulling out their materials and staying with the team, like they're going to get points in, in life school. Those points yeah. actually turn into other incentives. So, yeah. How did you develop your leadership style? I'm, I'm really curious. <laughs> so um, that's a very good question. I actually, so even as a kid, I was always told that I was going to be a teacher and I was like, no, I don't have the patience for that. I'm, I'm going to be a scientist and, and I'm, I'm not going to be a teacher. But I, I was told that my whole life I'd be a teacher. Even in like my first grade class, my teacher would allow me to work with groups of students. And um, we ended up being assistant principals together at the same school. Believe really? it or not. Wow. Yeah, he, he, he would tell everybody. I always knew she would be a teacher. But I was also, um, so there was something naturally in me. However, I believe that my specific style, it is a conglomerate of all the leaders that I've served under, Mm. whether it was in my teaching capacity, when I was an instructional specialist, or when I was uh, an assistant principal. As an assistant principal, I served under um, five principals during my tenure as an assistant principal. And every last one of them um, had some traits that kind of, I was able to take and I'd say, you know what? When I become a principal, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do that, you know. And I'll be me being the assistant principal, I would kind of have more boots on the ground and get to see how the decisions they made and their style impacted the teachers and students at the school. So I was able to kind of take a little bit from each one. Mm. Um, and also too, I've always had mentors. I've had mentors from the moment I became a teacher. Um, and those mentors also helped to shape my leadership style. So part of it is just my natural personality. And part of it is a combination of just learning, you know, 
Mm. Our goal of education is to create lifelong learners and students. Mm. And so we have to model that by being willing to learn from every experience and every person around us. And I'm constantly, I'm constantly doing that. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of bigger, bigger picture questions as we wrap up. Um, one is uh, just what connection you see between behavior and academics. You, you've talked about it a lot in your school, but could you just share some of your philosophy on it? Oh, yes. So, you know, <laughs> there's always this philosophical battle. You have group A that believes that instruction cannot occur as long as you haven't set the foundation of structure and behavior. And then you have group B that argues that if instruction is engaging and solid enough, behavior will take care of itself, right? So um, I am kind of in this group C, this gray area, where I definitely believe that in solid instruction and engagement and remembering that you don't teach subject matter, you teach people. So tailoring your instruction to learning styles and learning needs and the specifics of the people who are sitting in your classroom. I believe that that is the key to maintaining um, positive behavior within the school setting. However, I do believe that the initial foundation for instruction has to be um, a set of behavioral norms because we have, so when we tier our teachers based upon interventions and support and coaching, we have two separate tiers. We tier them on instruction and then we tier them on culture and behavior because you can have a teacher that is really, really solid in content knowledge and can create these awesome plans for engaging instruction. But if they can't get the children to remain seated in mind and hook their attention and, and the student behavior is all over the place. That awesome plan will never come to fruition, right? And then you can have students who are well-managed naturally and behave, but if you're boring them and you're not teaching to their needs, you're gonna lose those kids also. So I definitely feel that behavior cannot be ignored. Um, it the environment for which we we teach and the foundation that instruction has to lay on has to, we can't ignore the need for students to be well-behaved, okay? Mm. So, and then we have a lot of students, we have some students that actually have behavioral disorders and emotional Perfect. disorders and these things. So I definitely believe that behavior is a huge part of how effective instruction will be. Um, long are the days where students came in and just were quiet and got their lesson. <laughs> we don't have that anymore. We have a generation of students who were taught to question and taught to think mm -hmm. and, and they will challenge you, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, behavior, I think within the last, especially 10 years has become a huge deal. It has become a huge topic. And unfortunately, it has a lot to do with teacher shortages all over our country. Mm -hmm. um, most teachers, you know, contrary to popular belief, are not quitting the profession because of, of pay. You know, educators were never paid very much. That wasn't what we got into it for. A lot of them um, are leaving because they can't handle the mm -hmm. uh, behaviors that we're starting to see within the school and yeah. are, are becoming more common. So definitely, I feel like in order for, I've never seen a school be an A school <laughs> and have huge suspension, expulsion rate and, and behavior issues. It, it, yeah. just, it doesn't happen that way. 
Um, so I definitely feel that behavior plays a huge role in instruction and without um, having students have those, you know, meeting those norms and those expectations for behavior, I do believe that instruction will always fall short. All right, let's hit another hot button debate. Um, intrinsic versus extrinsic uh, motivation. I'm really curious, really curious your philosophy on this. Um, how do you see the two, I, you know, I, and maybe you, you hit this when you were rolling out live school, but a lot of teachers feel like, hey, Students should just be intrinsically, you know, these are behaviors they should be doing. We should not be recognizing and rewarding students for lining up quietly, taking out their notebook, right? These basic being respectful. And then, so where do you fall on that? How do you see this big issue? I was raised in a very old school fashion, right? And it was, you know, you do what you're supposed to do because you're supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. And your character uh, is defined by the things you do when no one is looking. Um, so I struggled with this intrinsic versus extrinsic uh, thing for a long for a long time. I typically taught students who came from underprivileged areas and a lot of them, um, just from getting to know my students, I recognized lacked intrinsic motivation mm. for a variety of reasons, okay, for a variety of reasons. And um, when I initially I was the same way you know you go to school you do what you're supposed to do that's a parent's issue why do we have to jump through hoops to try to engage kids to do what they're supposed to do anyway but I recognize just human nature and human nature we like to be recognized and we like to be rewarded for our effort whether we're children or adults right mm -hmm. and even if you're the most intrinsically motivated person without some extrinsic motivation oftentimes that intrinsic motivation will die Everyone needs extrinsic motivation to some degree. It is a range. Some people need more than others. Mm -hmm. So um, prime example, if you are raised in a two-parent home with lots of attention and, and, and affection and love and people who are putting into you every day mm -hmm. how special and unique and important you are, those type of things really garner strong intrinsic motivation. But the truth is, a large percentage of our population, they're not getting that mm -hmm. well, for one reason or another, whether it's a parent is working a whole lot and the kid's not getting a lot of attention, all the way to the fact that we have students in transition who are either homeless or living in group home settings or in foster home settings. Those children, unfortunately, did not get those things to help mm -hmm. build strong intrinsic motivation. And I found that the key to building intrinsic motivation when it is lacking it starts with extrinsic motivation mm. if you start extrinsically children will learn to build intrinsic motivation mm. i can't tell you how many children at the high school level i've worked with who when having one-on-one -on -one talks about like hey why aren't you putting forth any effort why do you barely come to school so many of them their response was well nobody cares mm. and you recognize that this child is lacking intrinsic motivation because that extrinsic motivation, which is the start of every motivation, we all start off I need with some no, food. without that. I mean, it just it, it, yeah. we start off with other people either building us up or tearing us down, right? Mm. And we know that from from birth, babies who don't get that initial contact and that initial love, they 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 typically deal with you know, these attachment disorders and these other things, 
All of that care and concern and love that we get from childhood, from early childhood, impacts how we develop. And it all starts with extrinsic motivation. Whether you're old school and your extrinsic motivation was, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do at school, my mom's going to spake me or punish me. Or or it's just having people motivate you. It's all extrinsic. And it does eventually convert into intrinsic motivation. And so it's really hard to sell people on that, though, especially if you've been doing this a long time. But I'm going to tell you one thing that I do think um, helped. By having our teachers in a house, right, not only when the house wins, not only do the students get PBIS, so do the adults. Mm. So our adults are hearing their names being on the announcement (laughs) when they are getting, you know, teacher of the month recognition, when they're getting recognitions, they realize it feels really good. It feels really good. And to have a principal that says, you know, I'm not like, well, you're, you get paid to do this job. You, you should come to work every day and you should do these things to be recognized for your efforts. Um, they realize it feels good. So, I feel like sometimes, in most times, showing is better than telling. When we set out as a leadership team to put the teachers in the house and to recognize them and reward them as their house works, uh, it wins, um, that was intentional. And mm-hmm. we're noticing that some of those teachers who was not real big fans of extrinsic motivation, because they've experienced how good it feels and how motivating it is, we're winning them over. And that was a big deal because we did have several teachers on our campus who were not using law school. They just wouldn't use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had some that were using it every day effectively. And they were, you know, speaking about how important it, the differences it made within the classroom culture. And you had some that just were like, no, I'm not, I'm not rewarding them for doing stuff that they're supposed mm-hmm. to do. But then right. when they saw how good it felt, they decided that they wanted to do that. And actually we are looking into developing a complete teacher PBIS system for next year Mm -hmm. tied into live school because um, all of our incentives right now are really student centered. It's it's about what students want. And then we started thinking about what are some stuff that teachers want, you know, whether it's a a 15 minute chair massage where like, you know, lunch on the principal, you know, so we're going to actually ramp that up. And I challenge anyone who is dealing with um, getting the buy-in for the extrinsic motivation for students to develop a PBIS system for the adults on your campus Mm -hmm. and let them experience how good it feels to be recognized for your hard work and effort, even if you're supposed to be doing it anyway. And Mm -hmm. once they feel that it's infectious and they, and they kind of, they recognize that it is important and it does feel good and you can win them over to give more support to the extrinsic uh, motivation. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I really, really uh, enjoy that answer. Cause it, I think it's just such an eloquent like description of a, a complex process. You know what I mean? Like it's not so cut and dry, but the idea that, you know, when students don't have that intrinsic motivation, you have to find ways to create an environment that helps them develop it, helps them. And, and anyway, you described it so nicely. Um, I would love to close out with uh, if you had a billboard and you could put up any message that other principals would see on their way to work every day, um, what message you might want to share that's been important to you as an educator and now a leader? Ooh, 
What a deep question that is. <laughs> oh, you put me on the spot now. Um, oh, wow. It would probably be summed up in, in two words. I probably would have, um, I probably would have a billboard with like huge, huge. on there, uh, continuous improvement and continuous improvement for all. We put it like mm-hmm. that, continuous improvement for all. A lot of times we put a lot of pressure on children to go from here to here. We know how, you know, in the world of standardized testing and letter grades for schools, we, we want this instant result. And it can be stressful, especially for mm-hmm. teachers who are under the, impre- the pressure of making these things happen. I feel like we can take a lot of pressure off ourselves and celebrate small wins if we focus more on continuous improvement, whether that's large gains or just a little. Um, And for everybody, not just for the students, but continuous improvement in the adults. Every single day, I'm trying to get better at every single thing I can, whether it's listening, whether it's self-care, whether it's organization. Um, And I feel like a lot of times, educators, we beat ourselves up when we don't necessarily meet the mark that's defined by others. Mm. And it can be really disheartening when you're working your butts off and then kids don't meet the mark, right? Mm. But I feel like if we were all to focus on just continuous improvement, whether that's our relationship with others, peers, students, um, cultural practices, um, whether it's parent communication, you know, just continuously improving. I believe that that will eventually get us to where we're going to be. It'll keep us from burning out. It'll keep us Mm. balanced and it's more realistic. And I also feel like it creates hope for Mm. students who unfortunately may be struggling or even our students who have certain cognitive disabilities and those Mm -hmm. things. When we create the mark this high, it is very discouraging for students who are starting really low. But if we can just talk continuous improvement and celebrate the wins, no matter how small they are, I believe that that really, really shifts a culture um, at the school. And actually that is the vision I set for this school year was to foster an environment of continuous improvement for all. And And the the irony is, you've had probably more than just continuous. You've probably had big jumps because of that mindset, right? They've excelled. Um, And I've I've seen some students so like tickled with themselves, like, wait a minute, I did this, you know? Um, They excelled because the expectation, it took the pressure off, continuous improvement. If you just get a little better every week and and getting the teachers in the mindset of when you do an assessment this week and, and a child, did not do well on the assessment, giving them that feedback that they need to go back and, and try to, to be specific. What the child made a D, but what is it that they would need to do to make a B and giving mm. them the opportunity to go back and redo it and recover that content and get better. And also encouraging them that next week when we have our quiz, I believe that you're going to do better, giving them that motivation, that extrinsic motivation. Mm. And once they experience success, they start to believe in themselves. And that's where that intrinsic motivation really unfolds. So creating that culture all around campus has taken such pressure off the Mm. teachers and students. I believe that subconsciously 
it's it's allowing them to relax in a way that they're performing so much better than they have just because they're not tense and they're not stressing about right. meeting a mark that may not even be uh, considered an attainable goal to them. Right now, they know, hey, Ms. Rumble just wants y'all to get a little bit better every day. A little bit better. Yeah, a little yeah. bit better. And that's in your control, you know, every day. I think that's a, a wonderful billboard. Um, and I, I really just want to compliment you. I mean, uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I think a lot of times people start small with school systems. And in a lot of cases, I think that's a good way to, to start. But I think part of what leads leaders to do that is, you know, when you go out and you say, we're going to have, you know, this pep rally schedule and like these rewards and this, you're kind of writing a check and, and you know, like it, it's scary to, to do that and, and not know, will we be able to cash that as a team? And so I think what you've done just takes a lot of courage. Maybe you didn't feel it did because you oh, just, no, I did. that's how you, okay. <laughs> but to go out there on the first day and, and write that check and then y'all, you've just been cashing it, which I, I think for kids must just feel way different as an, as an experience. And it sounds like it's showing up every day in the hallways and in the classrooms. And so it's, it's really impressive what you and your team have done. I, I'm sorry your, your colleagues weren't able to join, but I think you did a really nice job telling the, the story of what, what you all are doing. And I can't wait to uh, follow along and see what spring and next year have in store for your kids. Very excited uh, to continue this partnership. I will tell you though, I did feel the pressure. I recognized that I had <laughs> um, written a big check and that yeah. I would lose all credibility if I didn't see to it that it was done. I had a lot of uh, sleep deprivation in the first <laughs> few weeks of school. Um, I was like, I, I, I was dedicated mm -hmm. to making those things happen at all costs because I realized what was on the line. Mm -hmm. I realized that I inherited a school with some extremely competent and passionate educators and that they were on the cusp of being lost if I did not hold, uphold my end of the bargain. So yeah. it was plenty caffeine field days and sleepless nights. Um, and then once we got the ball rolling, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, energy is infectious, whether positive mm -hmm. or negative. Yep. Once they saw that I was genuinely dedicated to doing this and the sacrifices I would make to make these happen, they also became genuinely dedicated and created sacrifices. And I had people just coming up, teachers and coming up with all these excellent ideas. And, and then we were able to kind of divide and conquer in that way. Yep. So. Thank you for um, for acknowledging that because it was it was kind of tough. It I had sounds people scary say, to me. What you know? You're a year one principal. <laughs> and I'm like, oh god, did I do too much? Um, but it has worked out well. Yeah. And and that is one more thing I wanted to add was some of the teachers who really expressed to me how burnt out they were last spring when I came, mm -hmm. and were just kind of like, look, I'm on my last leg, but I like you. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a shot. But if this doesn't work out, I'm gone. Some of those teachers who were just over it are now, they've stepped up into like leadership roles and they've come up with all these ideas to uh, create different programs and clubs and things that have just spread like wildfire. So yeah, it has just ignited that yeah. other people. And we have so much going on. It's crazy, but we're happy. It's, it's, the, it's the type of exhaustion that makes you feel fulfilled. So Incredible. Well, keep, I know you will, but keep, keep it up. Thank you. Thank <laughs> so you. wonderful. And uh, thank you so much for joining the podcast and hope the rain moves on uh, quickly. Really appreciate it.